0: Truly I tell you, if you have faith, as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 17. Uh, There's a Bible app event for this you can follow along on if you'd like to. So you may have heard this story before. It's a pretty popular story. There was a church in Netcong, New Jersey some years ago that ran into an obstacle, kind of a mountain that was before them. They were a smaller church that was kind of growing and getting too big for the building they were in, so they started a building project. And they found eight eight anchors, wow, eight acres of land. And uh, they began to build upon it and they built a lovely facility. They were quite pleased with it and they were getting ready to get into that facility. And they went to the governance and uh, found out they needed to have an occupancy permit. And because they did not have adequate parking, they could not occupy their building. You say, how can you not have adequate parking when you have eight acres of land? Well, half of it, or part of it, I would say, was nice and flat. That's where they built their building. And then the rest of it, you would have had to have a Jeep Rubicon to park on that mountain that was uh, on the rest of that property. Um, it was not adequate for parking. So when they found this out, they thought, man, we've exhausted our finances. We can't hire someone to take that mountain down. What are we going to do? And the pastor stood up before them, and he read the passage that I began with. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. He looked out at his congregation, and he said to them, if you believe that, then join me here at 7 o'clock on Wednesday evening, and we will pray for God to remove that mountain. It was still there when they left church Wednesday night. So Thursday morning, he's sitting in his study, and the telephone rang, and on the other end was the telephone company. The telephone company said, uh, we're building a building nearby, and there's a swamp there that we must fill before we can begin construction. You already put the whole thing together, didn't you? Pastor said, how can I help you? Well, we'd want to know if we could take that mountain that's behind your church and if we could haul it over to fill our swamp. And 30 days later, that mountain was gone. And a phone company had prepared that area for paving. And a phone company had paid them for the dirt. And they used that money toward paving their parking lot. And God moved the mountain. Mountain moving faith. Faith. We're in a series, a sermon series, where we're talking about commission, C-O-M-M-I-S-S-I-O-N. We talked about the C being our call, and maybe your call is to take care of your aging neighbor. Maybe your call is to help out in children's church. Maybe your call is to, to um, be an encourager to specific individuals in your workplace. God has called you to something, and your call, by the way, is unique your call is not the same. Eric's call is one thing, Bob's call is another thing, and Christie's call is something different. But God commissions us. I believe that with all our heart, each of us, in one way or another. And then we talked about the letter O, that your O is your outward focus, that you're not just to be focused on your own needs internally, but you're to be looking toward the interests of others and caring for them. Today, I want to talk to you about M, and the M stands for Mountain Moving Faith, And I want to say to you that whatever role God has for you, you will likely encounter some mountains that will stand between you and where you need to be and what you need to do. And you'll have to use some mountain-moving faith. So let's look at Matthew chapter 17, and we're going to read a few verses from there. We're going to be in several passages, uh, but this is kind of our key passage this morning. We're going to start at verse 14. And it's speaking of Jesus and his disciples. It says, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Now look at Jesus' response. Oh, you unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long will I stay with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And then just in one sentence, Matthew writes in verse 18, Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Now, we're going to keep reading, but as we pause there, it's no wonder that Mark Matthew would have written these words down. That's a pretty dramatic occurrence. It's a pretty big deal, and it's a pretty amazing story. But after he pens those words The Spirit of God, who is breathing the text, inspiring the text, has Matthew tell us a little bit about what goes on in private with Jesus and the disciples. Look at verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, recently I was speaking to uh, some of you, and I mentioned uh, my first experience with this verse. I was just a little guy, and my Sunday school teacher had talked about uh, this verse, and my tiny little brain and my tiny little head said, I'm going to try that out. Moving a mountain. About half a mile from my house uh, was uh, what we call a spilly pile. Uh, most of you maybe know what a spilly pile is, for those of you who don't. Back in the days before um, we were as environmentally aware as we are today, um, a coal company could just go in and strip the land and leave behind whatever was there. And about a half a mile from my home, there was this large mountain of shale. Got on Google Maps this week because I thought, I can measure how big that is. It was 200 yards across. It was flat on the top. It was great for racing ponies or motorcycles. It was just fun, right? Shale nice and smooth. 200 yards across and 900 yards long. Ah, that'd be a good mountain to move. Let's give that a try. So there I was. We're driving home from church. I want to use mountain moving faith. And I said it as I looked out the window. Get up and move from this side of the road to that side of the road in Jesus' name. And it didn't move. So much for childlike faith, right? Right? And I said to myself, I knew that wouldn't happen. (laughs) Where was that childlike faith? Maybe I didn't have it. But I want to suggest this to you. I don't think that mountain would have moved regardless of the amount of faith I had. I don't think God would have moved it. And I say that because Jesus says these words in a very specific context. Not talking about necessarily the context in Scripture, But the context of what is happening when he says these words is really important. That context is the context of ministry. He doesn't say these words, or the story doesn't go like this. Yea, behold, Jesus and his disciples went to a car show, I mean, a chariot show. And the disciples, being impressed by the Roman chariots, said, Yea, we need one of these that would make our ministry so much better. They're so expensive, though, I think we could probably pick up some girls with it, too, and it would be really beneficial to be able to drive this around. And behold, Jesus replied unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if you have faith, you can get whatever chariot you want. That's not what it says. That's not the story. There's no story like that in the life of Jesus. The context of mountain-moving faith was always in line with their call with their commission, with what God had in mind for them to do. And this passage bears that out. The disciples are trying to do ministry. They're trying to cast out a demon, and they failed. And then they ask, why could we not do this ministry? We've watched Jesus do this ministry. He's asking us to follow in his footsteps to do this kind of ministry. Why can't we do that? And Jesus told them, you just need faith. And he doesn't say you need a pile of faith. He says you need faith like a mustard seed. I had a jar of mustard seeds, and I don't know where I put them. I was going to pass them around here today. They're so tiny, I couldn't just give you one and have you pass around. You'd lose it within 10 people. You know, two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Well, the mustard seeds that I had were about a third the size of the sesame seed on top of that bun. It's very small. And Jesus says, you just need to have a little bit of faith and you can do this. If you want to do ministry, like healing this boy, if you want to do my work, it'll take faith for you to do that. And if you will just trust me, just a small amount, you will be able to carry out ministries that will be absolutely amazing. I think. When I think about it, you know that our commission really regards kingdom interests. It's not about me. It's about him and the kingdom. So mountain-moving faith is for the sake of the kingdom. Let's look at another passage of Scripture. If you don't mind, turn to the Gospel of John. We'll be in chapter 14, verse 13, in just a moment. Anyone who's following Jesus will tell you that doing so comes with a blessing, Many blessings. I mean, turning to him changes your life. It changes your eternal destiny. That's good. It kind of changes your sense of self, your identity. Who are you? It, it changes the guilt that you've been carrying around. It's been weighing you down and the shame that you've been dealing with removing them. It gives you a heart of love. It changes your heart from stone. to flesh. Those blessings are Real. But sometimes we get confused. We, we kind of have this thinking that goes, oh, wow, there are blessings in, change, in in turning to Jesus. There are blessings in turning to Jesus. Yeah, Maybe if I turn to Jesus, maybe he'll take care of my school loan. That'll be good. If I turn to Jesus, maybe he'll fix my husband. That'll be good. If I turn to Jesus, maybe I can finally get that nice pickup truck I've been looking at. And when we read passages like, The one we're going to read right now, John 14, 13, where Jesus says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name. I will do it. We read that and we think to ourselves, I think Jesus is promising to pay off my student loan. I'm going to ask him to do that. Now, look, he helps with that sort of thing. He helped me pay off my student loan. Absolutely, I believe that. He has helped My wife, he has done amazing work to fix my wife's husband. (laughs) He has given me a nice home. But those kind of blessings are coincidental to the real blessings. They are not the deep, real, meaningful blessings. They are not in line with what he commissions us to do. Dr. John Tal Murphy, who taught at Tokyo Falls when I was there, said that the promises of, quote, asking in my name and receiving it are generally given in a certain environment. First of all, they're given to disciples. And a disciple has a strong commitment to the master. It's not a casual commitment. You can't call yourself a disciple if it's a casual commitment. So the kind of things that a disciple is asking for in Jesus' name are in line with what the master has commissioned that disciple to do. Have you ever wondered to yourself why some people are attracted to the occult? Or maybe why are they attractive to dabble in Wicca or witchcraft? I mean, they believe in the supernatural, evidently, so... (laughs) Why not go right to the top? Why not go to God if you believe in the supernatural? Why not follow God? Why not ask of God? Why not trust in God? And I think there are a variety of answers to that question. But one reason might be that we often want power to control our world, our way, without surrendering to the one who made the world his way. And when a Christ follower, when you're a Christ follower of Jesus, your world revolves around him because disciples surrender to him. That might sound really, like, extreme. My world has to revolve around Jesus if I'm going to be a disciple? What was Jesus who said in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate their father and mother wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, you always have to say this because we always specialize at missing the point. Jesus does not want you to hate anyone. That's not his point. Jesus is using radical language to tell you of the radical commitment that disciples are to have to him. He wants you to realize disciples follow their master above all else. So I can pray for that new car, and God might give it to me. It might coincidentally come with all the other blessings he has in mind for me. But that is not what Jesus is speaking about in this context when he's talking about mountain-moving faith. It is not what God is promising in John 14. The promises are given in the context of kingdom ministry. Often people go wrong when they read verses like 1 John 5:14 which says this is the confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask for anything according to his will he hears us and we hear that phrase according to his will and we kind of go through these mental gymnastics and all this thought and consideration is it God's will for me I got to ask in accordance with his will I really would like that Indian motorcycle and I'm thinking of getting it that would just be really great for me to have but I don't know if it's God's will for me to have that motorcycle I know he wants me to have a motorcycle, but I can't decide if it's the Indian motorcycle or the Harley-Davidson motorcycle. God, which is your will? And I think we're kind of missing the point when we're doing that. I kind of wonder if the phrase where it says, ask according to his will, means ask and according to his will for your life, the commission he has placed upon you, the call he has placed upon you. I wonder if Jesus is saying, listen, in, in this commission that I've given you, when you get stuck in following my will, Ask me, and I'll do whatever is necessary for you to move forward with your call. While I'm sure that Jesus means more than that, I believe, honestly, I've come to believe Jesus means that fundamentally. We're given this promise so that we can fulfill what we've prayed for since childhood. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is promising that when you are fulfilling your call, when you are living this commission, he will indeed supernaturally do things you request, things that you need as you carry out this ministry and as you trust him. And you can rely on that, that mountain-moving faith can exist because of the greatness of God's power. Let's talk about power for a minute. (laughs) We have a rule here at Kermansville Alliance. We don't talk about politics, and I'm going to talk about it for the second time in about three weeks, right from the pulpit. Right? I did a couple of weeks ago. Remember? We have a rule here at Kermansville Alliance. We try not to be political. That's why I don't. I'm never political from the pulpit. Um, I don't preach politics, we avoid political discussion in small groups. And most people think, well, I know why you do that, Pastor Steve. And, And you're promoting that because you want to have peace. You want Democrats and Republicans to be able to worship together in spirit and in truth. And that's a big part of it, I'll be honest with you. That is a big part of it. But there's another reason that I am apolitical and why I want our church to be apolitical. Human political movements are not the solution to humankind's greatest needs. In fact, and I say this without apology, human governance is completely impotent in trying to solve the great needs of humankind. Why? Because humankind's great needs are needs of the heart, needs of the soul, needs of the spirit. They are needs for repentance and needs for restoration, needs for redemption and needs for faith, needs for compassion and needs for healing, needs for restoration and needs for deliverance. And in my observation, Washington struggles to be even a little bit effective in those areas. Hmm. I'm not saying you shouldn't be political. I'm not saying you shouldn't vote. I vote. I vote faithfully. I am saying do not put your hope in man. Don't do it. We are commissioned to hope in the greatness of God's power. And when we do that, mountain-moving faith trusts God. I mean, when Jesus speaks about the failure of this deliverance, healing the boy, he doesn't look at his disciples and say, hey, guys, you're doing it wrong. You know, that's not what he's doing at all. He speaks about that faith. Oh, and, and, and he didn't say you've got to have more faith. If you could just have more faith. He says you just need a tiny bit. A sesame seed, less than that. A mustard seed amount of faith is really all you need. His words in verse 17 back in the Matthew passage are quite interesting. He referred to that generation as a generation that didn't believe, and he uses the word perverse. Listen as I read verse 17, the first part of it again. You unbelieving and perverse generation. Now, in that context, the word perverse probably doesn't mean what you're thinking that it means. It means at its root, turning away from that which is good. Turning away from that which is good towards something that is not good. Turning away from that which is right to something that is wrong. That is a perversion of what you really should be doing. They didn't seem to behave as though they believed the power was available to free this boy. They didn't have even a sesame seed Mustard seeds faith. They had turned away from the truth about God to think, I don't know if God's going to help me out here. They, they had turned away, and that turning away robbed them of their confident trust in Christ's power. Mount of moving faith holds on to what is pure, to what is good, to what is right, to what is lovely. It holds on to Jesus. Mount of moving faith. Trust God to do what is good. And in the process, mountain-moving faith rescues people from evil. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles once more. Can we go to Matthew 16, please? Matthew 16. While you're turning there, do you ever look around and you just think to yourself, this world is just hopeless? This world has no hope at all? <laughs> it's going to Hades in a handbasket, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can feel that way about the world. I'm guessing some of us have felt that way about family members. There's just no hope for them. You might feel that way about your, yourself. God, I'll just never be rescued from this evil. Far in the north, in the area called Israel, the country called Israel, there is a region, a place called Caesarea Philippi. That's a picture that I took when I was visiting there the second time I visited Israel. I've been there, and I've seen that cliff face, and I've seen uh, the mouth there, that large cave that is there. The water that flows from that face of that cliff eventually becomes the Jordan River. And in ancient times, in Jesus' day even, that water was flowing directly out of the, the, the hole. If you look at the image, it's on the left there. Um, that's where the hole is. It goes back into the cliff. The water literally came out of there. And so pagans looked at that and said, look, there's water coming right out of here. That must be the mouth of hell. That is the gates of Hades right there. And they called that the gates of Hades or the gates of hell. And the worship that the pagans did there was vile. In my younger days, when I liked to be brash and shocking, I would explain it. I don't need to. It's just, it was really bad things that were going down there. And so no devout Jew would ever go to Caesarea Philippi. It was just a terrible place to go. You never went there. But here's Jesus in in Matthew 16, and he intentionally took his disciples there. And it's not the way to anywhere that Jesus needs to go. It's way out of the way. It's, It's maybe as long a journey as he will take on his feet while he's walking the earth here. He goes up there and you say, why? No devout Jew would ever go here. Why is he going there? And among other reasons... Jesus is going there because those people, those pagan worshipers, are caught at the gates of hell. They're lost. And remember this phrase from Jesus, the Son of Man has come to seek and save what is lost. It's in that setting when Jesus asks in Matthew 16, verse 15, in the latter part of the verse, who do you say I am? And of course, Simon Peter, and by the way, Peter's name means rock. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Maybe the first person among the 12 to say such a thing. Indeed, he was. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I don't know if you've ever been in a dark and evil place. Have you ever been somewhere, and you're like, man, I just feel like this is an evil place. This is a bad place to be. I can sense the evil all around us. That's where Jesus and his disciples were, at the gates of hell. And as those men peer into that darkness, Jesus says, You see all this evil of the world that's around you and beyond. It cannot stop us from rescuing people from eternal death. These gates of hell do not stand a chance against my people, the church. We are going to knock them down. We're going to knock them down. The greatness of God's power. Whatever mountains God calls you to move, whatever is required for you to continue in your commission as you follow God, He gives you what you need to move them. Gate crashing is normative, a normative power in the kingdom of God. He moves those mountains. Mountain moving faith. Can you think of some mountains that need moving? what mountains are there in your life that need to move? And as I'm talking about these mountains now, I kind of want to see them as obstacles, things that are in your way, things that are preventing you from getting in your commission that God has for you. It prevents you from getting from here to where he would have you to be. What mountains are standing in your way? I want to suggest three kinds that might be there. First, you might want to consider personal spiritual mountains that distance you from God. They keep you from being who God wants you to be. They're in your personal life, and they're pro- they're acting as roadblocks between you and God. All of us have times in our walk with Christ when the Spirit of God begins talking to us about something in our life that needs adjusting, something that needs to change, and we pretend not to hear. Maybe it's something that doesn't honor God. Maybe it's something that you just shouldn't be doing. Maybe it's something that we know we should be doing. I believe this mountain, this personal spiritual mountain, is probably the most effective tool the enemy has in preventing us from moving forward into and through our commission, trapping us in sin so we can't do what he has in mind. I say that because did you ever happen to think (laughs) of a lot of people's favorite Bible verse, judge not lest ye be judged, right? Did you ever happen to think of how that really pans out in Matthew 7? You know, Jesus says to a group of people who love to judge, he says, judge not or you will be judged. And then he says, how in the world can you hope to take a speck of sawdust out of your friend's eye, when you got a beam hanging out of your own eye. And if you don't think Jesus had a sense of humor, that's funny. How in the world do you expect to do that? And then he says, what very few people are fond of saying, he says, take the beam out of your own eye, and then help him get the speck out of his eye. Judge not lest you be judged. It's in a way to escape all kinds of judgment. It's a way to be alerted to the fact that you're not really going to be able to help someone until you're dealing with the own mountains that spiritually distance you from God. You've got to deal with your own crap. Oh, the elders are going to call me in because I said the word crap from the front of the church. Crap. You've got to deal with your own stuff, your own garbage before you can actually move forward in whatever the commission is that he might have for you. Mountain-moving faith sees that and confesses it. God, I got this thing that I'm dealing with and I'm not dealing with well and I know that you know. And I want to be free from that. I'd love you to free me from that. Forgive me for it, God. I repent of it. I will walk close to you. And Jesus says, you will not be defeated. The gates of hell will not stand and hold you there. It may take time. It may take a lot of prayer. It may take interaction with brothers and sisters in Christ. But the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The mountain-moving faith will give you the victory. So, if you have that mountain between you and God, turn to Him, confess your sin, trust Him for victory. Deal with the personal spiritual mountains. Let me suggest a second kind of mountain a personal ministry mountain. That is a mountain that keeps you from living out and filling your call. With all my heart, I believe. I don't know if you've ever heard me say this before. There are certain things in this world that God has for you to do and you're just the right person to do them. Did I tell you in this service or am I thinking of the earlier service? Did I tell you today that that's what I did for my kids? Did I talk to you about that? Today, I did in here. Okay, so I'm gonna tell you again because some of you are new. So when my children were small, I wanted to give them a blessing and I, I formulated those words. And so every night when they would go to bed, I would say from the bottom of the steps because I was lazy or sometimes i go up and say it in the hallway. Sometimes I'd go in and talk to them and sit on their bed. There are certain things in this world, Esther Shields. There are certain things in this world, Tim Shields, that God has for you to do and you're just the right person to do them. And I say it to you because I believe that with all my heart. And with all my heart, I believe that you will personally encounter obstacles that feel like mountains that are trying to derail that purpose in God's mind to keep you from your commission. It may be your own personal struggles that we just spoke about. It may be a world system that seems to align itself against anything that God wants to do. It could be the enemy, because your struggle is not just against flesh and blood. Whatever you struggle against, trust God. Ask him to move the mountain and clear the way for you to serve him. And he'll do it. Let me give you a third kind of mountain that may need removing. I'm calling this a collective ministry mountain. It's mountains that God calls us as a family, as a church family of believers to remove so we can move forward with what he has in mind for us. Last night, we had our 31st sportsman's banquet at Kermansville Alliance. And buddy, this building was used hard. (laughs) It was used hard. Can I talk to you about a few mountains that needed to be removed before that could have happened? Let's go back in time about 40 years. About 40 years ago, a group of people who met together in a house that they had converted into a church building and put pews in prayed that God would remove this mountain that was in front of them, that was keeping them from growing in number because they only had enough room for this many people. They wanted to have a larger facility. There was no way to grow. So they prayed, and God provided land. He provided resources. He provided workers. And those workers built the sanctuary that you're sitting in right now. Right now. Mountain-moving faith. About 20 years ago... (laughs) Some people felt like they should have a ministry wing because if we had a ministry wing, we'd have more room for Sunday school. If we had a ministry wing, we'd have a better place to do some sports. If we had a ministry wing, we could probably maybe uh, maybe do a bigger sportsman's banquet. And so they prayed, God, we, we would like to do this, but there's no adjacent land. The land behind the building was literally a mountain. Have you looked back there? The land beside the building, inadequate. The land over there had, one, a house on it. Two, a street that belonged to the borough on it. Three, another house on it. Four, another house on it. And people were living in all those houses. Oh, God, move that mountain. And I want to tell you, I had next to no faith. But you know what we did have? A mustard seed. That's all we needed. God, move that mountain. Please. And so one day we called Mr. and Mrs. Sopic, who owned the first house next door. Said, hey, I'd like to come over and visit you with one of the elders from church. Set up a time to do that. Jim Bell and I put on our neckties. Off we went. Over to see the Sopics. You walk in and you look at the Sopics who probably were 80-ish in age. And you think to yourself, this is the house that he built with his hands. This is a house that he read, how many Sopics are there? Or he raised, rather. This is a house that he reared, how many, maybe 80, 90 kids in. I mean, they're a big family, right? right? He raised his kids there. He built the house there. Hey, Mr. Sopic, we'd like to come over and buy your house because we want to knock it down. How about it? How do you feel about that? That is not what we said. I had rehearsed and prayed about and rehearsed and prayed about what we said. And I went in and I said, Mr. Sopic, if there's ever a time that you would like to leave this house to sell it, The church would like to be first in line to buy it. Virginia, give me that. He has a folder. He hands it to me. We've had it appraised, and we'd like to sell it to the church. God moved that mountain. And by the way, because of the faithfulness of God, we paid cash. Right there. Wow. Before we had closed on that property, (laughs) the next house said, Hey, you want to buy ours? God moved that mountain, and because of His faithfulness, we paid cash. By the way, you know that road that the driveway you come in over there was a street. How in the world do you close a street? Oh, we got to get an attorney. Oh, he's working with a law firm up in Connecticut or somewhere. It's going to cost a ton of money. I think it came in at about a tenth what we paid for the sopic house. God moves mountains. Because he's faithful. Just a few months later, Mrs. Gill had passed away. Jim Bell is sitting at his desk at work and the guy at the next office sticks his head in and says, hey, do you guys want to buy Mrs. Gill's house? God moves mountains. He is faithful. He has the power. I could go on. I could go on and on. But there we stood outside where there had been houses and streets before. And we broke ground for the ministry wing that was used hard last night (laughs) in a sportsman's banquet because God moves mountains. What mountains are there in your life? Can you see (laughs) that if God above says, ask me to move any mountain or trust me to move a mountain and command it to move, can can you see that that's so much bigger than I want you to have the blue motorcycle. <laughs> that's so trivial, right? That's so trivial compared to living a call. To being commissioned and living the commission. What mountains need moved in your life? Are you fighting some personal demons? I mean is a mountain that you need to address that thing that stands between you and God? Let's pray, and God will prevail. The gates of hell will not hold you trapped. Or is it you feel stonewalled in some ministry that God's called you to? Let's command that mountain that's blocking you. Let's command it to be thrown into the sea. You can be sure that as a church family, God hates the good things that happen here. Let's pray that no mountain would be there let's pray that the gates of hell will never prevail. Let's stand together if you'd join me in prayer. Let's bow our hearts. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your great love for us. I pray for us as different ones of us are dealing with personal issues in our life, personal mountains that stand in our way that need to be removed. They may be mountains of our own making. For that, we are sorry. We repent. We confess our sin knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We would command that mountain to be moved from here to the place that you would send it. We want nothing to stand between you and us. We trust the shed blood of Christ to cover our sins. We walk toward you believing that forgiveness is ours through Christ Jesus our Lord. We think of mountains that might prohibit us from living the call. We would just command that whatever that is, that you would care for it. That you, whatever is blocking our way to fulfilling our commission personally, that it would be thrown into the sea. And as a church, God, we love what's doing here. Jesus, we pray that you are pleased, that you are pleased with what's going on here. And we would pray that no mountain would ever stand between what you would like to see done here and where we are. May we never grow full of arrogance or pride. May we always recognize it is your faithfulness. It is your faithfulness. It is your faithfulness. We trust you to do this for your honor and glory. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen.